Welcome to Mercy Street Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Mercy Street Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing to listen to new messages every week. Have a God-filled day. When I think about that song and I hear it in my ears, I must confess that's not always true of me. Sometimes I surrender some. Other times I surrender partially. But when God calls us to surrender all, oh my goodness, what a day will it be when we exalt him in such a way that there's nothing that we hold on to. Amen? While you are standing, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I got a lot of work to do today, but we're going to read this together. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read verses 24 through 26. If you do not have a Bible, there is a Bible directly underneath the chair in front of you. If you don't have a personal Bible, please take that Bible home with you. It is a gift from us to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, and it reads, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleased God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. I pray today, Father God, that you will be lifted up and that you will be exalted in such a way that even today, Father, you will be glorified. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints say, amen. You may be seated. We have started this summer series called Hevel. Hevel is the Hebrew word that means vanity or meaningless or what we learned last week. It means smoke. And Hevel in, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us that life sometimes can be like smoke, that it is hard to grasp, that it is elusive, and at times it is just downright confusing. Well, we're going to continue with our study in Ecclesiastes today with um, kind of a part two to part one, because some of you all left here with just the, the burden of realizing that life seems confusing. So I want to give a little more color and context as Kohelet Wagner. Remember, I'm Q today. Don't call me Jerry. I'm Kohelet. All right. And there's one parent who has already said they're going to name their child Kohelet. So I told you that would happen last week. Um, I remember one Christmas in Ohio, my brothers and I gathered around the tree in great anticipation of opening the gifts underneath it. 
The gifts were all different sizes and wrapped with beautiful wrapping paper. In fact, I distinctly remember a red bow on one of my gifts. Don't ask me why I remember that. I just do. Uh, We were all excited. We started to unwrap the gifts that were assigned to us. Paper and boxes were flying everywhere as we tore through the gifts. Now, as I reflect on that time, I can only imagine that my mother buying those gifts was very expensive. In fact, I know that she spent a long time wrapping those gifts as a single parent for four young boys. However, I remember a question that one of my brothers asked after he had finished wrapping his gifts. And the question was, is that it? After unwrapping all that my mom had put together and all that she had spent her money on, his first question after he had torn through all these beautiful wrappings was, is that it? I assume that some of you have experienced is that it moment. In fact, what I'm asking is simply this. Some of you all in here are asking that same question about life. Is that it? Many of us have unwrapped the gifts of life and we have wanted to know after seeing all that God has offered to us, God, is that it? In fact, after listening to the sermon last week, I can only imagine that some of you all were kind of taken back when Kohelet said, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Knowing that the correct answer to that question is nothing, it may have caused some of you all to ask the question, is that it? To hear that all is vanity, that all is heaven, meaning that life is just this short bunch of smoke and vapor leaving me confused and grasping for life may cause some of you all to ask the question, is that it? Now, the problem is not the question asked. The problem becomes the pursuit of how you and I try to satisfy that what-if question. See, the issue isn't that you look at life and you see that it is not all that has cracked up to be. The issue is, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to pursue to satisfy that craving of what it? See, when you and I are not satisfied with life, we begin to pursue things expecting or hoping that they will make us happy. I mean, that was the issue with my brother, that it wasn't that he didn't have. The issue was he was not happy with what he had. See, the issue is not that God uh, is breathing life into your nostrils, causing you to be a living being, even to sit in this place today under the sound of my voice. That's not the issue. The issue is you're not satisfied with the life that you have. 
So Kohelet, the king who has unlimited resources, becomes the test dummy by which he is going to examine all the things of life in order to show us that education, partying, possessions, money, entertainment, sex will all leave you frustrated. He says, since I have all the resources as Kohelet, the king of Jerusalem, what I'm going to do is I'm going to force my people to face the reality of life that there's nothing out there that can satisfy the craving that you have for life. What Kohelet's desire, in other words, what Kohelet Wagner desire is for you to walk away with today is this. Life in God's world is a gift to be enjoyed. That no matter what you have, no matter what your situation is, life in God's world. I know you think the world is chaotic, and I would agree with you, but chaos does not negate that God is in control. So life in God's world is a gift, and now watch this, it is to be enjoyed. And so I want to give you an outline because I, I have a lot of work to do in this passage because I'm going all the way from chapter one all the way into chapter two to give you kind of this layout of what Kohelet is trying to call us to. And so an outline, if you look at the screen, if you wanted to reproduce what I'm saying right now, here would be a good outline. The outline would be the pursuit of wisdom and pleasure. Chapters one verses 12, all the way to chapter 2, verses 11. The second thing that you would see in his thought process is that the pain of death, chapter 2, verses 12 through 23. And lastly, the perspective of God, chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, in that life in God's world is a gift to be enjoyed is the perspective that Kohelet hopes that you walk away with today. And so let's begin in this pursuit. The first thing that Kohelet pursues while he's trying to make sense of the toil of life is wisdom. Look at chapter 1, verse 13, verse A. It says, and I apply my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. Another way to say this is, I set my mind to intensely investigate everything that is done on this earth. In other words, Kohelet became a detective of human wisdom. And, and, in other words, his first pursuit and trying to make sense of life was education. Isn't that what we do? Like when we're trying to gain status or when we're trying to feel important or when we're trying to fill the void of being inadequate, the first place that we go to is the university. In fact, they even do it in neighborhoods that are marked by poverty. They says, listen, let's put as many schools in those neighborhoods 
Because if those people in that neighborhood who are in poverty will be educated, then they will change their life. My bad. I thought the only thing that changes the life of man is a transformed heart, not a renewed mind that is based on human thought. Kohelet goes on to say, not only did I pursue education, he says, but I mastered it. He studied under the best professors. He passed every exam and could pontificate. The ins and outs of wisdom. Like, I can only imagine that when he would talk about wisdom, he would cross his legs and have his pipe in his mouth and say, let's explore the realities of life. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, he says to himself, he says, Self, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were under Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I apply my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. He says, I have arrived and reached the pinnacle of education. He says, no one can stand before me in wisdom. But if you look at the text closer, there's a problem. As Kohelet begins to evaluate, he begins to discover that God hasn't made it easy for him in this pursuit of wisdom. In fact, in 13b, he says, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is funny to me. It's funny to me because the moment that we fall short in our human pursuit, the first person we blame is who? God did it. See, see, the moment we pursue and build our own kingdoms and we fall short of it, the first person that is on the chopping block is God. My bad. The problem is, he didn't start with God. He started with himself. See, the problem, the reason why you're upset is not with the creator who made everything. You are upset that when you took your plans to God, he didn't approve of them. And the first thing that you want to do is turn your nose up at God and say, "Mm, you didn't come through for me. But Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 teaches us that real chokmah or real wisdom doesn't start with you. It starts with the fear of the Lord. It doesn't start with the fraternity of academia. It starts with the fear and the reverence of the God who gave you the education so that you might learn. He started with the pursuit of wisdom and education, only to turn around and blame God. The second thing he discovered in verse 18 was that the more he knew, the sadder he became. The more wisdom that he gained, the more sorrow came in his life. Look at verse 18. It says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases and knowledge 
increases in sorrow. He says, the more I know, the more bliss is taken away from me. The more I know, the more unhappy I become. And I'm trying to make sense of this because I'm like, why would you become sadder? Why would you become more sorrowful if you had gained the wisdom that you had pursued? Well, I tell you why. The more you gain in wisdom, the more you understand how finite you are. Like, the more you gain in wisdom, the more you understand that you don't know what you think you know. It is humbling for someone to come up to you and tell you you are not as smart as you think you are. The second reason I think it brings sorrow and it brings sadness is that not only do you recognize that you are finite, but you are accountable to the things that you know. The moment that you know right from wrong, you're going to be held accountable for that truth. See, that's why you can't speed, and then when the cop pulls you over, you get into an argument with, with him talking about, why you pull me over? He said, do you know what the speed limit is? Yes. Well, you were going 80 in a 45. So what? I live in this neighborhood. I know the stop signs and all the stuff around here. See, some of y'all laughing because y'all try to get all the tickets, and then you get mad at the cop when he signed you the ticket in the same way that you get mad at God when your plan don't work out. God, why am, why am I not experiencing the fruit of life? God says, if you do what I tell you to do, then you will experience some of the fruits that are attached to your obedience. I know that's tough. Finally, he concludes that all is vanity in verse 14. He says, it is like chasing after wind, or in his words, striving after wind. He even goes as far as to even tell you why he has come to this conclusion in verse 15. He says, the reason why I see vanity and emptiness in life, according to verse 15, is because what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted as parallel. In other words, the life that I see is all bent out of shape, and the tools that I'm using to get ahead are all broken. In fact, I used to think that that was what he was trying to say until I saw chapter 7, verse 13 of Ecclesiastes, which is the same Hebrew word that's used there. And it says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what has been made crooked? Notice when those two things are butted up against one another, it asks a simple question. Who's in control of your life? Because the reason why you're mad is because when you try to bend life to your ways and you try to bend um, life according to how you want, to, want it, you fall short and you get angry when God all along is saying, I'm the only one who has the power and the strength to fix your life. You see what Kohelet is doing? 
He's trying to get us to face the reality of life so that we might get to a point that we might enjoy him. I'm going somewhere with it. Keep walking with me. And so Kohelet transitions from the examination of, uh, of, of wisdom to the pursuit of pleasure. Now this right here, y'all, is messy. Oh my goodness. It is so messy. Like, there's nothing that he is going to hold back in his experience. Like, he's going to pursue life full throttle with no boundaries or no cares in the world, and yet he's going to do it with his eyes wide open. Because if you look at the text, he says, I'm doing all these things while holding on to wisdom. That's even worse in doing something in ignorance. Because if you was ignorant, then you can like, he, he just didn't know. But Kohelet isn't doing it in ignorance. Kohelet says, I'm about to put life to its test. And that's what we do. We put life to the test. Scratch that. We put God to the test. The bad thing about putting God to the test is he's never failed an exam. Like, like the bad thing of putting God to the test is that when you ask him a question, it's almost like what he said to Job. If you ask me a question, you better be prepared for the answer. If you ask God a question, prepare your heart and your mind to his rebuttal. Because he's going to ask you hard things like, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I put the waters and separated the heavens and the earth? He's going to ask you, were you there when I fashioned you from the raw materials of the earth and then I took my breath, the breath of life, nephesh, and I breathed into you and you became a living soul? What part did you have in that? Man, I hate talking to God sometimes, man. It's painful, boy. Reading his word, and you're like, man, too, I'm going to try to finagle this and fix this. And all of a sudden, you run into the very scripture that you didn't want to read. You run into the very friend that you didn't want to talk to. Shoot, I thought we was friends. You up here saying that I should do this, I should do that. And then God says, well, let me back them up with the scripture and the text that you're reading as well. Oh, my goodness, he disturbs our very conscience. I was going to do, Charlie, tell the truth. <laughs> Circumcise your thoughts. You know, I was going to go there, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. It's an inside joke. <laughs> I told you I was going to get it in there. Amen. And so chapter 2, he enters chapter 2 with the same intensity and purpose of chapter 1. Notice in verse 1, he starts with three imperatives. Come, test, and enjoy. What is he stalking after? Well, he tells you, pleasure. And then he not only tells you that he's stalking after pleasure, but he also gives you the purpose of why he is stalking after pleasure in verse 3 when he says, I, I, I'm doing this to see what good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of life. 
In other words, or another way to say it would be, I'm doing these things so that I might discover what is profitable for the people to do on earth during the few days that they live. He said, this isn't about praising God. This is about seeing what benefits and profit that I can do as I scheme through life. Hmm. So let's look at the different pleasures that he go through. I, I think some of these are going to resonate with you all. But, but verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, he pursued laughter. He pursued laughter. This was convicting to me because I, I, I know why he's pursuing laughter. In fact, if you wanted to literally translate it, you would say something like, he was trying to self-indulge in all the things that made him merry. In other words, he was partying. In verse 3, he, he, he leaves the comedy club and then he goes to the club. Because the first thing that he picks up is a wine bottle. What does laughter and wine, what does partying and wine have in common with one another? Well, I tell you, they are simply a means of anesthetizing oneself against the pain of reality. See, do read the life of most comedians. Most comedians' lives are tragic because the things that they observe is a reflection of the darkness that they have went in. The reason why laughter is convicting to me is because oftentimes the reason why I seek comedy is because I'm trying to avoid the pain of crying. I love comedy. I love to laugh. But as I read this, I understand why I do, because growing up in the environment that I grew up in, I had to laugh at something because I was always in a chaotic situation. That may be true for some of you all today, that comedy isn't laughter, it's actually a tragedy, which in the Greek sense, it's the same. So he transitions from anesthetizing himself with laughter and wine. Now he turns to possessions that lead to power in verses 4 through 7. Let me read this quickly because I, I think you need to see what he did. He says, I made great works, which means possessions. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. You see what he did? The question that he's asking is, if I pursue all these things, Maybe, just maybe, this is where I would see happiness. If I pursue all these things, just maybe I can find a place where happiness would dwell in the midst of all my toil. But here's the problem. Anytime you get to a state of self-indulgence, 
that, that, that you pursue all possessions with no boundaries, it oftentimes come at the cost of you oppressing someone else. Did you notice that not only did he build things, but he also had slaves? See, sometimes it's not about the color of your skin, although that is a factor. Sometimes it's about the power or the maintenance of power that your oppressor is trying to oppress against you. Be careful how you pursue possessions because you might have to step on someone to get it. He says, I've pursued all these different things only to ask myself the question, is this the final moment that I will see where happiness dwell? So let me flip it on you. What if you do get that job? Would that bring the happiness that you are seeking? What if you do build that brand or build that company? Would you be satisfied? What if you do get that house? Do, do you think that you're no longer going to um, pay rent or pay a mortgage? But some of you all might say, but Jerry, I've paid off my house. Do you think payments stop there? You do know there's property taxes. What if you do get that relationship to fill that void of loneliness or being alone? Do you think that's going to satisfy your need? Because there's a lot of moments and you can go ask my wife. She loves me. She just don't like me. What if you do reach that status? See, these are all the questions that Kohela is forcing us to, to examine as we pursue the things of life. And the final thing is he turns to money, entertainment, and watch this, sex. In verse 8, he says, I also gather for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and providence. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. In other words, he had reached the top of the celebrity A-list. He, he, he was on the Forbes billboards as the wealthiest man in the world. He had reached the pinnacle of pleasure. And I know some of you all are, are standing here saying, Jerry, I don't need all that. Just give me something that I can, that, that, that I can um, buy a, a, a carton of milk or give me something that I may eradicate all this debt. If God were to give me money, I would be a good steward over it. See, but God is more concerned about how you are a steward now so that when he does give you more, you know how to handle it. See, oftentimes the reason why God hasn't enlarged your territory and the reason why he hasn't given more to you because you are not good stewards of the things that you have now. But there's a problem. He says after pursuing all these things of self-indulgence, he has a summary statement in verses 9 and 11. And Kohelet says, but when I went after all these things, I still felt like I was chasing wind. See, even when you get those things, watch this, it still feels like you're not satisfied. Now, Kohala says, don't get me wrong. I became great in verse 9. I found pleasure in all my toil in verse 10. I received a reward as well with all of the things that I had experienced 
He says, but the problem is, or the end result is, achievement and pleasure just does not last. It is hevel. It is smoke. So Kohelet gives up on living a reckless and loose life. He gives up on it. He says, I'm no longer going to live this reckless and loose life. In fact, I'm going to live a wise and clean life. He says, I'm going to turn and I'm going to do everything right. Only to come to this conclusion or this realization that in verse 13, he says, then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. In other words, wise people know what direction they are going. He says, that's the life I want. Yes, I know exactly where I want to go. And in a few chapters or a few verses later, he says, but the wise person and the fool both have the same fate. The wise person and the fool both have the same fate. This is called the pain of death. The pain of death. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, then I said in my heart, what happened to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise and as the fool, there is nothing enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies, so does the fool. Kohelet got to a point where he began to hate life. Not only did he begin to hate life, the Bible says that he began to despair over the fruit of his labor, over the fruit of his toil. He concludes that I have worked for all these things only for someone else to come along and take over. He says, and I don't know if this person who is coming to take over the things that I have worked for, if he or she is going to develop it or destroy it. He says, what am I working for? See, some of y'all thought I was crazy when Tamara and I was having that conversation about if I die. Y'all remember that when I said if I die, don't move into my house and don't marry my... Y'all remember that? See, y'all thought I was crazy. Kohel is saying the same thing. Like, Jerry, why, Jerry, why you tripping, bro? Like, why you tripping? Man, I work for that house. I spent half of my life with that woman. Shoot, don't touch my woman and don't touch my house. <laughs> you did, Jerry. I know, but there's something going on in my mind. Kohelet said the same thing. Now, if we stop there, I think we missed the point that Kohelet is trying to make. If we stop there, I think we will run into this form of nihilism, meaning that there is nothing in the world that has real value. But that's not what Kohelet is saying at all. 
In fact, everything that Kohelet has said in chapters 1 all the way to chapter 2, he is trying to get us to have a biblical perspective on God. And not only a biblical perspective on God, he's trying to get us to have a perspective that is right so that we can enjoy the gifts of God. Let me show you what Kohela was trying to tell us all this long. He says, wisdom apart for God leaves you frustrated and sad. This entire time, he's trying to get you to understand that the pursuit of wisdom will always leave you frustrated and will always leave you sad. Secondly, he says, pleasure apart from God is not permanent. Like, listen, I I know you love the feeling and the gratification, but why do you think you keep running back to it? Because it don't last. Lastly, he wants us to understand death should teach us how to live in God's world. Death shouldn't give us anxiety in God's world. It should teach you how short life is so that you might live intentional in God's world. I know some of you all like, Jerry, once again, that's morbid. I don't, I don't live like that. I don't, I don't live with death on my mind. Oh, really? Let me ask you a question. Do you have life insurance? If you don't, especially as a husband, you're irresponsible because you need to take care of your family both in life and death. Do you have car insurance? Well, if you don't, when you get in a car accident, don't expect that um, payment to come back to you. You already live life with death on your mind. The problem is you only live life with death on your mind with things that you value and not with things that value God. And so when you you begin to break this down, uh, Kohelet is actually on your team. He's actually on your side. He says, I have lived all these things so that you don't have to. See, I know people like to tell you that the greatest teacher is experience. But sometimes you can learn from watching somebody else. I know they like to tell you that you got to go through something so that you may be um, empathetic towards that. I don't think so. There are some things that I'm empathetic without ever touching it. One of the things my wife said, the reason why she didn't pursue a lot of relationships was because she saw what her friends were going through. And because she saw what her friends were going through, she says, why would I have a boyfriend in middle school and high school when it is going to turn out like that? I think that wasn't the whole truth. I think she was just waiting on me. Yeah, that's what I think. But, you know, I'm vain. So what do I know, right? Kohelet says, I want you to get a perspective on the fragileness on things so that you can get a perspective on God that ties into both your purpose and your enjoyment. In other words, he wants you to adopt the very thing that I said in the beginning. Life in God's world is a gift to be enjoyed. You see, everything up until now has been about gain. It has not been about God. 
And life in God's world is not about gain. It is about enjoying his gift. The reason why you still feel empty when you have is because you don't have the God who gave it to you. That's the issue here. He says, so if you want to enjoy life in the midst of toil, the first thing you have to come to conclusion on is that God is the one who gives gifts. If you're going to get to that perspective, he says the first thing you have to understand is that from the hand of God, you have what you have. Uh, Y'all just looking at me. Let me make a point. Look at the text. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Hold up. How does enjoyment and toil coexist together? Well, God said they can coexist together. In fact, they do coexist together because I am the God who gives it. And so he says, how do you find enjoyment in your toil? And he tells you, he says, you find enjoyment in your toil when you understand that from the hand of God you have. That's how you find enjoyment. Once you understand that what you have is a gift from God, then you can begin to put in perspective that you don't have to hold on it so tight. Once you understand that what you have is a gift from God, then you are more loosely with what God has given you because you don't expect your job to be your provider. You expect your God to be your provider. That's why you don't have to acquiesce to a a, a boss who doesn't love Jesus or who is harsh or when you got to stand up for what is right. And so he goes on to say, I saw from the hand of God, from apart from him, who can eat or who can enjoy. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And to the sinner, he has caused him to be the one who gathered. Notice something, that it is God who gave wisdom. It is God who gave them knowledge. And it is God who gave them joy. Once you come to that conclusion, then everything that you have, you can enjoy. All right. Let me, let me show you what this looks like. The whole purpose of the bubble game, which it didn't work out the way. You know how you have these things in your head and you think they're going to work out the way? It just didn't work out. But the bubble game was to show you that you can see toil and enjoyment together. See, I pulled out that $20, which was my gas money, knowing that no one down there could have caught a bubble in their hand. But did you see how hard they worked for it? It got so crazy that one person hit the bubble machine. I'm like, oh, Lord, the bubble machine that went down. See, the problem is some of um, the people didn't even want me to do that because they were so scared that somebody might get hurt. Isn't that how we live life? We're so focused on the toil that we can't enjoy the world that God has put us in. So there is enjoyment to be had, but you have to understand, even in the enjoyment of catching bubbles, have a right perspective on the bubbles. It's fragile. They're beautiful. They show many colors, 
but it's not permanent. Your job is not permanent. Your branding is not permanent. Your house is not permanent. The, the, the idea of being hooked up with someone is not permanent. Even marriage isn't permanent. Remember in the marriage vows it says, till death do you part. When I die, Tamara is no longer in covenant with me. In fact, when you go to heaven, the Bible says that we are going to be like angels who don't marry. I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, if I see Tamara in heaven, like, what I'm going to say? I'm like, like, are we married? Like, are we friends? Like, like what? Like, man, what? Like, what? Like, where you live at? Where you staying? Are you mad? Like, it, it confuses me sometimes. Somebody said, y'all sisters. I, don't, I, I didn't marry her to be my sister. I wanted her to be my boo. See, you don't do the things to the sister. Okay, I'm gone. Here's what I would surmise, and I'm about to land this plane. Here's what I would surmise. Up until now, I can only imagine that most of us, when we eat and drink, we simply do it as fuel to enable us to keep on going on with the work that God has given us, okay? Some of us, I can only surmise that when we work, we don't work just to earn a living, but we also work to find satisfaction and purpose and build a brand, okay? But what if, let me change your perspective, what if that the pleasure of food is a daily joy that we gratefully enjoy and share? What if our mindset shifted from gluttony to glorifying God with what he has given us? What if our work was never intended to make us successful, but to simply make us faithful and generous? Like, what if that the God, the, the job that God has entrusted you to and entrusted you with and the skills that he has given you was not just used to build your empire, but was used to expand his empire and to love the people that God has entrusted you. Just what if? What if death showed us how to live intentionally for the mission of God taking advantage of demonstrating and declaring the gospel inside and outside of the church. What if? God said, if our mindset switched in that way, not only will you be able to understand the gift of God, but you will enjoy the gift of God even when things are chaotic. Even when things are rocky. Kohelet says, I want you to walk away from this place today knowing this. Life in God's world is designed for you to see it as his gift and to enjoy it. He doesn't tell you not to pursue those things. He says pursuing those things are all right. Just keep it in perspective. Pursuing those things are all right. Just know that they are coming from a source. It is coming from a source on high. In fact, the New Testament says, 
all good and perfect gifts come from God. And when we come to that conclusion, I guarantee you, you will be like kids trying to grasp bubbles with the perspective that it will pop, that it will mess, that that it is fragile, and yet you will still enjoy it. Last week, I left you with questions. This week, I'm going to leave you with questions as well as the worship team comes to the stage. The first question is, what is your motivation for getting up in the morning? I want to be practical. Like, what is your motivation for getting up in the morning? The second question is, how would you describe true joy to a friend who knows nothing of this? Who knows nothing of this? That's a gospel. I know I'm setting you up. You see what I'm doing. But, like, how would you describe joy and what you have experienced? And here's the last question. How does death teach you to live in God's world? How does the brevity and the fragility of life teach you how to be intentional? Let us reflect on all that Kohelet has allowed us to learn. Thank you again for listening to Mercy Street Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.